We're going to kick off the broadcast, though, from the field by discussing some of the environmental challenges that this and other Southside neighborhoods have had to contend with over the years. Here to discuss is Blacks and Green founder and president Naomi Davis. Her organization is based in Woodlawn. Welcome back, Naomi. Gina Ramirez is here, too. She's Midwest Outreach Manager for the Natural Resources Defense Council, also a resident of the southeast side. That's one neighborhood that has its share of heavy industry and the pollution that comes with it. Welcome back, Gina. Thanks so much for having me. And Reset Sustainability contributor Karen Weigert, who I'm just meeting for the first time in person after two years. Welcome, Karen. <laughs> Great to see you in person. <laughs> so I'll, I'll start with you. We're, we're going to talk about several forms of pollution, Karen, but... I want to start with air pollution, specifically. The American Lung Association, they listed Metro Chicago as um, part of the top 25 cities in the country with the worst air quality, which is pretty terrible. Um, we know air pollution, though, can, can vary widely from block to block, so just explain that. Yeah, this is a list that Chicago is on and has been on, sadly, before, and it's not a list anybody wants to be on. And as you said, this list looks at the metro, so it looks at Chicago, part of Wisconsin, part of Indiana, uh, and at that macro level, the numbers aren't great. But as you pointed out, it can be completely different in one part of the city versus another. And there are actually hundreds of sensors around Chicago that are telling us that in a real-time basis. And it can be if you're near, for example, a highway where you've got internal combustion engines going by all the time. It can be if you're near a construction site that's doing demolition because these are different sources of pollution that you might feel locally in this context where all of us have some challenges in the air we're breathing. Yeah. Well, Naomi, how has redlining and the construction of highways, how has that played a role in um, concentrating pollution in certain neighborhoods and, and burdening communities of color? Well, there is an intentional plan on the part of decision makers to concentrate or locate industry in specific areas. And of course, who ever thought of a highway as a weapon of destruction? But it is just that, and it has been an intentional invasion of black communities from one end of the country to the other. And so when we talk about urban planning, and we look at the uh, placement of the highways, uh, which are going to, of course, be generating um, a diesel particulate. Um, and when we talk about the placement of heavy industry, um, imagine people who are creating what we now uh, routinely refer to as sacrifice zones. Sacrifice zones where it's okay for certain people black and brown people in particular, mm. to be burdened with an undue portion of the uh, cost of, 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 of industry, advances, progress. Uh, we're not getting the benefits, we're getting the but. Gina, we know that the South Side is a big area, right? So give us broad strokes. What are the different kinds of issues that we see throughout the South Side? Yeah, so the South Side definitely experiences health disparities. Growing up, my mom had asthma because she lived by the U.S. Steel site. There's really large portions of my neighborhood that have cancer, um, respiratory issues. On any given day, you'll see signs that say no idling diesel trucks um, in front of elementary schools. Asthma vans are the norm for our children. And so... Um, yeah, the north side doesn't experience the same sort of health burdens that we do on the southeast side. There's over 100 industries that line our Calumet River. There's also the toxic legacy from, from the steel mills um, in our soil. 
uh, at, the, at the Little League fields in Hegwish, they had to be remediated because there were high levels of lead and arsenic. Um, I'm well, 39 years old, and I've had uh, several of my classmates from the neighborhood um, pass away from cancer. So, you know, we're not seeing this, this wow. kind of um, health impacts on other parts of the city. What about what you're seeing in Woodlawn, Naomi? Well, for example, uh, the Norfolk Southern um, intermodal facility, uh, which spans uh, the area from State Street all the way practically over to King Drive, has uh, been monitoring, well, has been monitored. Uh, of course, they were instructed uh, and agreed by ordinance back in 2012 that they would be tracking and monitoring their particulate levels. Uh, they would be updating and modifying their equipment to reduce those levels. But between their intermodal facility, several hundred acres, and um, an, an, element, an elementary school, Dulles Elementary, yeah. uh, right on 63rd and King, and a 960-unit residential unit, Parkway Gardens, there is no separation, there's no buffer, other than a chain-link fence and some uh, some barbed wire uh, across the top. There's no uh, remediation uh, that can help the quality of life of those children and their families. And uh, with a Microsoft uh, grant, uh, many of us have been participating in uh, quality uh, testing around the city. We asked to have uh, the tracking systems placed at the Norfolk Southern uh, boundaries mm -hmm. uh, there at the intermodal. And 40 times the healthy uh, uh, volume of particulate is tracked and measured at the 63rd and State Street uh, uh, facility uh, corner. How do you justify that kind of disregard, callous disregard, concentrated over time mm -hmm. uh, between an industry which should be hiring, training, befriending, giving back to a neighborhood, which instead is just killing it softly. And help us understand, Karen, what causes air pollution? There are multiple causes, but you see this globally and you see it locally. And what we're hearing today, a lot of our local challenges are from combustions, from vehicles particularly diesel, uh, which is really adding to air quality. And certainly as we have changes in logistics and warehouses and locations, you see concentrations there. You also see it from any kind of burnings. Even burning leaves can cause a temporary spike in air pollution questions. And you can see it in, uh, in construction, in demolition. So anything that's kicking up dust or other things are all different kinds of air pollution. Yeah. Um, and the particulates, the 2.5, those are the little ones that can lodge in your lungs. Those are the ones that we see a lot of with tremendous implications for health locally and quite honestly globally. Both you and Naomi mentioned particulates. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, it's essentially a little teeny physical piece of air pollution. You might not even see it, but it is small enough. It's, it's less than the width of a hair. Uh, so when you breathe it in, it can lodge in your lungs, and there are cumulative impacts as people have more and more exposure. In fact, there were even studies that looked at uh, some of the, the incidents of COVID, and there were increases in mortality amongst populations who had had consistent exposure to particulates in the years prior to COVID. Wow. So this has consistent health impacts that are not positive. Yeah, and back over to you, Gina. You've talked about some already, right, some of these health impacts. Talk more about what you're seeing this impact of air pollution have on folks around you. Yeah, so we have... Um, our fair share of bad actors on the southeast side, S.H. Bell, was actually found to be emitting at high levels a neurotoxicant called manganese. Um, 
And when, when inhaled in children, that can affect your IQ. It can cause developmental disabilities later on in Parkinson's-like symptoms in adults. And so um, the, the air monitors, you know, pick up an array of, of, of varying um, concentrations of metals like lead and arsenic and manganese. And our, our Washington High School air monitor actually has some of the worst air quality in the state. And so that's just really concerning because it's right next to a park, right. <laughs> a bus stop. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have really high, high rates of cancer and mm -hmm. really high rates of asthma. An estimated 5% of all premature deaths in Chicago can be attributed to particle pollution. Um, health experts compare the harm of breathing these particle pollutants to cigarette smoking. Naomi, diabetes, um, heart conditions, hospitalizations, all of that linked to air pollution. How's that sitting with you? Well, we often talk about the wealth disparities between uh, black and white communities. And uh, with that go the health disparities. We have um, measured and, and, and deeply documented um, the, the life expectancy, the difference between um, uh, can be as, uh, as many as 10 to 13 years difference in the lifespan of a person from one zip code to the neighboring zip code. Um, when I say killing us softly, I mean, death is death and nobody's welcoming it. Why should black and brown communities experience uh, the disproportionate burden of uh, the quality of life so that uh, others can uh, live more uh, liberally. Um, we, we are um, happy to announce, and you might be touching on this today, the General Iron decision recently at the EPA level, uh, the fact that we are flipping the script on what is permissible. Mm -hmm. We are no longer sitting back and uh, deferring to the laws that uh, support our early death and the wealth disparities along the way. And so the idea that um, a beautiful, lovely, family-oriented community on the north side, uh, richer, whiter than our neighborhoods, were able to expel General Ion from their neighborhood right. only for it to travel and experience the benefit of permitting by right in, um, in an already overburdened community yeah. is just not okay. And we are definitely going to get more into that, uh, Naomi. Karen, there are studies that are also linking air pollution to an increased risk of developing dementia, right? There are multiple studies that, that do show correlations, and dementia is actually one that has been looked at. In fact, they found correlations globally, and some Harvard studies have looked have looked at it. And it's in the context of many health challenges are exacerbated by air quality. And so absolutely dementia is one. Um, and I think when we look at this question, we're looking at a range of challenges that can come and a range of types of air pollution. We've talked about particulates. There's also ozone. And that's actually where Chicago ranks quite poorly. And that's a combination uh, that can happen when sunlight hits some of the chemicals. And it can be very, very difficult to breathe on that very, very day. So some of this is cumulative impacts, and some can be a very particular day when it adjusts more dangerous, particularly for our more vulnerable residents and particularly in places where the poor air is concentrated. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are broadcasting from Omni Ecosystems in Bronzeville today. We're in front of a live audience, and we're talking about the environmental issues that exist on the south side and how pollution impacts residents' health. Throughout the show, we'll be talking about solutions. 
sustainability is often thought of as just an eco-friendly measure, like not using plastic straws or maybe taking a reusable shopping bag to the grocery store. But sustainability efforts at a neighborhood level, they're often rooted in promoting the health and in some cases the wealth of residents. Our guests are Naomi Davis, who's founder of Blacks and Green, Gina Ramirez, a Midwest outreach manager for the Natural Resources Defense Council, and Reset Sustainability contributor Karen Weigert. Water pollution, that's also a huge deal, Naomi. Talk about this. Well, we are, <clears throat> we're very activated in, <clears throat> excuse me, in our sustainable square mile of Westwood lawn around um, a, a spectrum of water issues. Our black uh, Chicago Water Council has looked at water issues from water as a human right to, of course, the uh, lead service line replacement, which is a really hot uh, topic right now. We just hosted a, uh, a town hall at our Green Living Room headquarters this past Saturday on uh, with the EPA. Uh, we have a, a grant to uh, bring knowledge um, to, our, uh, to our neighbors and, and imagine that we have uh, many daycares in our neighborhood, for example. Mm -hmm. There is an ordinance requiring that they test their water and there is a mandate that they mitigate any lead in their water. But how many of our daycares actually know about the requirement? How many of them can uh, show compliance? And worst of all, how many can actually afford to be able to mitigate uh, in the ways that are necessary? Everybody wants to protect the baby's health, but mm -hmm. it's an unfunded mandate, or is it? One of our friends, uh, good friends at Elevate Energy has funding that's available. We want to get the word out. Hey, daycares, there's money from friends to help you change out your service lines to eliminate the lead toxicities, which, as Gina said about the other particulate poisoning, will affect your IQ, yeah. will affect your, uh, you know, your behavioral uh, practices in your little baby life. Absolutely. And, and really uh, change the trajectory, potentially, of your entire life. Yeah, Gina, let's talk more about lead poisoning, which, which Naomi brought up here. I mean, because it's causing brain damage for kids. Yeah, we know that there is no level of lead that is safe to consume. Um, and so, you know, the city is really dragging their feet in the lead service lane replacement. Um, and, and this is an invisible threat. Um, we often hear about lead and paint, and we shouldn't, you know, pin those two issues against each other because um, not only are our families on the southeast side, low-income communities of color, experiencing these health disparities, experiencing air pollution, the pungent smells, transportation deserts, food deserts, um, they can't even pour water from their tap and give to their children. And so um, there's also flooding issues. You know, on the southeast side, we share the same water infrastructure as industry. Mm -hmm. And so when there's a storm and you have basement backup, you don't know what kind of toxins are in your basement. And so that's also really alarming. We have, uh, you know, the accumulation of warehouses coming into the southeast side. That's induced, it's increasing the heat index map. Um, you know, we don't have enough trees. We don't have, you know, places for stormwater runoff. Yeah. And so climate change is just going to exacerbate the already existing problems. But, yeah, water is, is, is a huge issue that, you know, we're just <laughs> slowly stepping into. I mean, it's just slap after slap um, when you live in an environmental justice community. Yeah. Um, you don't know where to start, um, but, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, you brought up climate change. We know that's leading to extreme weather, hotter temperatures. 
what impact do these sweltering days have on residents and communities that are dealing with environmental injustices? Talk a bit more about that. Yeah, so um, the heat wave <laughs> played a huge impact in my life in 1995. I've, I've talked about this on the show before, that I grew up without air conditioning. Um, and, you know, we're experiencing warmer weather earlier in the year. So, you know, you could get like 80, 90 degree days in, in March. And, you know, our, our families just don't know how to cope with that. You know, we, we see brownouts and blackouts. Um, you know, even just this past year, my, my power was out for over for over a day. And you know, trying to take my, my son who's disabled to seek refuge is just really, um, you know, really hard to do. And so, yeah, there needs to just be more infrastructure and it needs to, infrastructure um, and clean energy solutions and they need to be prioritized in environmental justice communities first because we disproportionately experience it, the impacts of climate change first. Karen, I'll ask you a question from a listener, Lisa Willis. Lisa asks, is there any concentrated effort to tighten the landscape ordinance to disallow plastic turf in Chicago's front yards and parkways? That is a very specific question. <clears throat> thank you, Lisa. Uh, thank you, Lisa, uh, for that very specific question. And I don't know if there's a specific effort, and I do know that the landscape ordinance is a legacy ordinance in many ways, so I suspect there are multiple questions that people are thinking about when we're looking at what's local. And uh, as you think about what is covering the ground, that idea of natural, local, native plants is part of a solution that is more in line with what might help create, uh, quite honestly, a bit of stormwater capture as we're talking about, uh, as we're talking about climate change and increased we weather intensity. Uh, that's also a cooler surface than something that is a synthetic. So as you think about natural plantings, and as we're sitting here surrounded by a green roof, yeah. that's cooling the air around us. So there are, are multiple ways to think about what, what is planted or could be on a surface that might create better air quality and healthier temperatures. As we wind down here, Naomi, drive the point home for us. Why is it important to talk about this on a neighborhood level? Oh, perfect. Um, well, you know, at Blacks and Green, we teach our walkable village of West Woodlawn that we are our own best emergency management system. When a climate crisis has uh, abrupt impacts, how do you, sir, thrive in, in those settings? Well, for one thing, it's not the closet with the cans of meat and water. It's not an individual household salvation. Salvation, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen only at the community level. So uh, one of your best indices of how well you are prepared is, do you know your neighbors? And at Blacks and Green, we work very hard to introduce, interconnect, educate, inspire, and involve neighbors mm -hmm. in the spectrum of practices. We call it the eight principles of green village building, a whole system solution for the whole system problem common to black communities everywhere. Uh, and, and I wanted to segue on Karen's point because we are one of the few people in the nation with, for those who don't want to cut no grass, and we understand <laughs> cutting grass ain't the most fun thing to do and it's bad for the environment anyway, but the Hermannschof approach to uh, very low maintenance um, uh, uh, parkways and front lawns, it's a practice that we've instituted starting on Juneteenth of this past year nice. with the help from Timberland, and it's all about how you can uh, use uh, na natural uh, plantings 
um, and a deep gravel, uh, cuts out the weeds yeah. that crop up, and it is beautiful, and um, something that we'd like to see instituted across all neighborhoods, low maintenance and beautiful. Well, speaking of that, Gina, leave us with this. How would you want the city to support your work? Um, I want them to pass a cumulative burden ordinance um, and at the state level an environmental justice bill that, that takes into consideration the experts of the community because we know what's best um, for a green, sustainable, economic, beautiful future for the south and west sides of Chicago. We've been speaking with Gina Ramirez, Midwest Outreach Manager for Natural Resources Defense Council, Reset Sustainability Contributor Karen Weigert, and Naomi Davis of Blacks in Green. Thank you all.